This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, verse 21 and 22. Matthew 16, verse 21 and 22. And everyone has a handout, right? Who doesn't have a handout? Raise your hand. Um, facing the pain is number two. Facing the pain. Okay. Can you raise your hand and they can get your handout? Okay. There's some people without this facing the pain. I'm just coming. My daughter. But just keep your hand up so she can see you. Oh. Okay. There's still one in the front, Anya. Yvette, can you post a sign on inside and outside of the doors, please? Oh, in the front, Anya. Oh, she's still getting the back. Okay, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 and 22. So we're going to just go right into it. In the front here, if you need a handout, raise your hand. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Anya. Pain. Who wants it? <laughs> now, most of us have heard of the phrase growing pains, have we not? <laughs> and what that means is that whenever there's growth, there was always pain, right? Now, most of us want to grow, whether it be physical strength, our relationships, or our profession. But pain... That is so unattractive. <laughs> now the truth is that we're not going to grow in any areas of our lives if we're not experiencing some type of suffering, right? For a baby who is growing new teeth has pain. An athlete training for a marathon has pain. Someone breaking out of a bad relationship has pain. We can't save our money, lose our weight, or improve our relationships without denying ourselves and thus experiencing some level of pain. True? And the same way, in order to grow spiritually and emotionally, we first need to experience pain. For oftentimes, in order to grow, we first need to face the pain of our past wounds so that we can then begin to heal. So may God help us embrace our pain rather than to deny it or run away from it. Let us pray. Father, help us to face our pain so that may we desire healing. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. What happened when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to face suffering and death? Notice the Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 and 22. From that time forward began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer, that's pain, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be far from you, Lord, this shall not be unto you. And when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer physical and emotional pain, Peter said, Be far from you, don't let this happen. In other words, Peter didn't want Jesus to face the pain. But how did Jesus respond to Peter's reaction? Matthew 16, verse 23, notice the Bible says, But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, what? Satan. You are an offense unto me, for you savor not the things that be of God, but those that be of what? Man. You see, Satan was using Peter to try and hinder Jesus from embracing the pain. But Jesus rebuked Peter and he focused his path towards suffering. 
In the same way, Satan often speaks through people and even through Christians to try and hinder us from facing the pain. And it's during these times that we must remember that we are to take up the cross of suffering and follow Jesus. What do you say, huh? Amen? There's a young man after I shared this sermon, and it was a men's retreat, and I shared this sermon about facing the pain, and this young man was a huge man. He was about six, five, three hundred something, and not muscles, and tough looking. He said to me, you know what, Pastor, your sermon is just for me. I'm always the kind of type of guy that goes around joking and cracking jokes so I can run away from the pain. What did Jesus want to do in the Garden of Gethsemane? Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, 22, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 22, verse 42. And I always believe, I tell people, don't believe a word I have to say, but believe what the Bible had to say. What do you say, amen? The Bible, you know, the Bible is relevant. What do you say, Amen. Don't believe that the Bible doesn't relate to the real issues of your heart and your life. It is relevant. It is real. It can minister to the needs of your soul if you let it. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. What did Jesus want to do in the Garden of Gethsemane? The Bible says, Jesus says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You see, at first, Jesus didn't want to go through the suffering of the cross. This is the reason why he pleaded with his father three different times to take the cup of suffering away from him, right? But in the end, Jesus decided to do not what what he wanted to do, but instead what his father wanted him to do. So when the mob of religious rulers and ruffians came to get Jesus, Jesus bravely embraced the pain while all of his disciples ran away from the pain. You see, in the same way, we may not want to do what we know we should do because we're afraid of the pain and the suffering, but we must follow Christ's leading and we must embrace the pain. In the same way, facing the pain of our past wounds can be very agonizing. But before we can bring our wounds to the cross, we must first acknowledge that we are wounded. True? Amen? For how can we confess to God our wounds if we can't even admit them to ourselves? And how can we experience healing for ourselves if we won't even admit that we have something that needs healing off? I think I realize there are a lot of people who experience healing some places I go some places I go, up to 80-90% of the people come up for healing afterwards and I do anointing with oil and I pray and give biblical advice to them. And I'm there till 11.30 at night. Can you imagine that? Some places, hundreds of people come forward. In some places, just a handful. Why only some places... It's a lot and some little. Are we not in an all in a sinful world and need all need healing? Or maybe it comes to a point where we don't realize we need healing. You see, whenever there's denial, there is no healing. For the only way we can be healed of our suffering is if we experience it to the full and then give it to the hands of a loving God. What do you say? Amen? See, the problem is that we often minimize our pain. But often we say, oh, it wasn't a big deal. Or we say, I just had to forget about it and get on with life. Or we say, we all suffer in life, so it doesn't really matter. Or we say, what is past is past. So there's no point in really dwelling upon it. One of my members who shared with me about how she was so excited about experiencing healing from her past family wounds that she told her sister about the healing she had from her past. She was so excited. And then, but her sister immediately told her that she didn't want anything to do with healing because that means if she was to heal, then that would mean that she would actually have to face her pain. 
Could it be that people are actually running away from healing because that would mean that they would have to actually have to face the pain and it's too agonizing and painful to face the pain that they would actually live a lie the rest of their lives. How is it with you today? Do you also ignore your past wounds so you don't have to face your pain? I've done it. But God's Holy Spirit wants to come into our hearts this morning and do a miracle. What do you say? Amen. Amen. His love is amazing. His love is healing. His love is powerful. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. When we suffer loss, what should we do? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And I use this text at funerals. <laughs> but we can use it for ourselves. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says, But I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, says that you, you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. In other words, when you sorrow, make sure that you sorrow with hope. So, don't this, in other words, there's some funerals I go and some places where there's a party. They don't even have a, there's no grieving process. They just celebrate. And then there's some places where it has sorrow and they grieve. They do grieve. The other extreme, there's two extremes, and they grieve, but there's no hope. But the Christian is to grieve in the middle, but have it with the hope of Jesus' love. What do you say? Amen? That's the, and that's the healing. So the Bible says, so the grieving is a process by which one is healed, right? I know, why would God tell you to grieve in the Bible? Right? If he didn't want you to go through the process and experience healing, right? That's how we, people say, well, you know, actually I knew someone. You know, he wanted to be so spiritual, so present truth, that when his mom died, he was like, Everybody said, well, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, you know, we're going to see him in the resurrection. Totally throwing out any grieving process. But, you know, God has allowed us to go through the healing and grieving process so that we can be healed. What do you say, huh? Amen? That's what God has actually wanted us to experience is this grieving process. If they were grieved, they will be healed. But if they ignore the pain or medicate their pain, they will not be healed. Now, to grieve properly, it takes time. And the deeper the wound, the longer the grief process. But unfortunately, many of us have been wounded where we have not grieved. And the problem is that these wounds have been covered up with scar tissue where the infection of unresolved grief is still festering within. You know, I fell down. I was on a ladder. I fell. I hit my leg on a metal piece on a cement block. And I was bleeding. Kind of ignored it. think nothing off it. I never got infection from a cut before in my whole life. Ignored it. Started to get painful and red and sore. So I finally went to urgent care. I'm a person who doesn't like to go to the hospital. <laughs> Last resort. Kind of like my dad. So here I am, urgent care. He goes, oh, it's infected. So guess what he had to do? I should have just put on the antibiotic. But he had to scrub it and all that scab off. And guess what? It was painful. I guess that's why I don't want to go to the doctor because I don't like to face my pain <laughs> in some areas, right? Scrub it off. It was more painful. It was, more, it was much easier if I had experienced healing from the beginning, right? Then I had to go there and actually scrub it off and go where there's something growing and festing within. Healing sometimes requires a reopening of our wounds in order to remove the infection so that we can truly be healed. Genesis chapter 32, verse 26. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 32, verse 26. After, talking about Jacob. After Jacob and the angel of the Lord wrestled all night, what did they then say to each other? Genesis chapter 32, verse 26. 
The Bible says, And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go except you what? Bless me. So they're wrestling, right? They're wrestling. The situ- What's happening in this situation? Why is he wrestling with him? You see, Jacob had deceived who? Yeah, Esau, his brother, right? And father. Family relationships were messed up here, right? He had caused pain and had hurt them, right? He deceived his father and his brother to get the birthright. But now he had to face his past as his brother was now coming against him with an army of what? With an army of men, right? The time had come for Esau to get even with Jacob for the wounds that Jacob had given to the family. So there are wounds that were happening. What happened next in verse 27? Notice the Bible says, chapter 32, verse 27. The Bible says, And he said unto him, What is your name? And he said what? Jacob. You know what Jacob means? Deceiver. Ah, you know what? The angel was forcing him to face his past. The angel was forcing him to face his past. What is your name? Jacob. Ah, deceiver. Ah, my brother's coming after me because I deceived him. I hurt him. I wounded him. I hurt my father. I hurt my mom. My mind, my life is a mess. And he said, what happened next? 28. And he said, your name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince has thou power God with men and has prevailed. So here we have Israel, and what Israel means is he who wrestles with God and has prevailed. In other words, yes, that's your past, but I'm bringing healing to you, Jacob, from your past emotional wounds, and I'm going to heal you so you have a new name. A new a name means character, right? Which is a new experience, a new life within your life. That's what he told to Jacob. God healed him from his painful past by giving him a new name. And the same way, in order for us to receive the blessing of a healing from God, we must first face our painful past. And when we do, God will then bless us with a new name or character. And this new name of Israel will be given to us will mean that we have wrestled our painful past with God and thus have been healed. Now, after wrestling with the angel of the Lord all night, what happened next? Notice it says, And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray you, your name. And he said, Wherefore is that thou did ask for my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. The next thing that happened is that when Jacob got a new name, he was able to see God intimately face to face. What do you say, amen? In other words, you don't realize this, but I've seen this. What's hindering a lot of people from having an intimate relationship with God, seeing God face to face, because they have never been healed from the past emotional wounds. And I've seen this and experienced this time and time again in my churches. I'm going to say that again. Maybe new to you. Jacob was able to see God face to face because he was able to get a new name, a new character of healing from his old past of a bad name, of a deceiver, of his past wounds, of his life. And because of that, he was able to see God face to face. I want to see God face to face and have an intimacy with him. What do you say? Amen? I was thought, well, how can I help my members to have a better relationship with God? Man, I did everything. Everything you can think about. Methods, programs, evangelistic meetings, call portal programs, Bible working programs, and they're all good. But I realized the greatest need in our churches today is to experience healing for our church members. What do you say? Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> you were there the last sermon, huh? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Didn't stop there. It says here, And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. 
He was wounded upon his thigh. And that's what happens when we, you know, we may be healed from our past, but guess what? There's still going to be scars. There's still going to be scars. But guess what happens with those scars? It says in 32, Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the muscle which the sinew, the muscle which shrank, which is also the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. In other words, the, the muscles. So Jacob, um, his muscles were bad, and he, had a, he was, had a limp. And from that day, it was a memory throughout all of history that they would not eat, the children of Israel, it was a memorial. Every time they would, they would not eat of the, the hollow of the thigh, of whenever they eat meat, they would not eat of the, the thigh bone because that was a reminder of the healing that Jacob experienced. So in other words, that's called wounds that heal. So when you experience healing from God, God's going to take you. God's going to use you. You know, there are so many hurting, and you don't even have to go in our church. There are many people around you, your family, your friends, your, your classmates at school, your co-workers. Everyone is hurting. It doesn't matter where you go, you're going to experience it. And God's going to use you. And you're going to have, when you experience healing, like Jacob, you're going to be a new person, a new character. And when that new person is shining through with happiness and joy of being restored and healed, God's going to take that. And yes, there's going to be a scar of a limp. But you know what? God's going to take that limp and God's going to take that wound that you have. And he'll take that wound and he's going to use your wounds to heal many other people. What do you say? Amen? There are many people out there hurting. There is so much people out there hurting. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Even the people in this room is not enough. Not enough. And God's going to use you as he did. You know, I had spoken at an academy, one of our academies, Southern California. And I was sharing my testimony of relationships and about different things. And, you know, every class, I guess, has one. It's called a class clown. <laughs> so they wanted me to speak to all the Bible classes in this academy. So he was cracking jokes during my whole presentation. <laughs> I guess that's, you know, God, I guess that's God's type of um, getting back at me because I've always was a clown too in the past. So everything that happens to me, I go, Lord, I know I deserve 10 times worse for everything I've done. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why a lot of bad things happens to me. <laughs> so he's just cracking jokes. And I go, that's what I would do because that's what I did. But as I'm speaking, I'm like, hmm, the reason why I did that was because, this is why I'm speaking, I'm thinking it. The reason why I did that was because I was running from my pain. I used jokes as a distraction so people wouldn't see how I'm really hurting on the inside. It's kind of like the bank robber, robber. he's running, right? He's, he's rubbing outside of the bank and he's screaming, everyone quick, there's a Rob bank robbing robber inside there and the robbery going on at this moment. Look, look, and running away free with all the money. That's what a person who cracks jokes all the time doing. The Bible says in Proverbs, right, even in even in laughter the heart is sorrowful. <laughs> laughter on the outside but the inside is painful. That's the next series. I take away the mass, the show. So here he was cracking jokes, and I was like, he's just like me, how I was. So I changed my whole presentation in the middle of, you know, they're cracking, they were laughing. So I switched it, and I shared my testimony about my father and how we didn't get along. I hated my dad. I could care less if he hated me. I'm going to share that later. And so I shared that testimony, and he Stopped him in his tracks, dead cold, laughing face turned to seriousness, and I had him the rest of the presentation. <laughs> Whew, it worked. <laughs> so I'm preaching this, I'm giving a presentation, and he's convicted, 
and I'm preaching, and finally, you know, I didn't think anything off it afterwards, and I kind of stopped, and I was talking to students afterwards, and afterwards, he came up to me with serious face. He goes, I want to thank you so much for what you said. It really meant a lot to me. Wow. Reaffirm the truth of I'm not the only one that ran for my pain because of using laughter. <laughs> the cl- clown. Many other people are doing the same thing. Turn to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 3. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 3. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 3. Notice the Bible says. I love this text because this is my experience. Isaiah 45, verse 3 says, And I will give thee the treasures of what? Darkness. This past year I went to darkness. And in darkness, God gives you treasures. He teaches you precious lessons that you would never learn in the light when things are going great. I've had many years where things were going really great in my ministry, in my life. But you know, darkness, God wants to teach you precious lessons and treasures. And in these precious lessons and treasures, he wants to teach us. So that means that darkness is not a time to talk, it's a time to what? Listen. So darkness is a time to listen. So I was learning through this dark 15 months of being, a min- of being in medical disability and not working and everything and everything else happened bad to us that God wanted to teach me many precious lessons in darkness. And I needed to learn what he wanted to teach me. So he told me, don't try to learn this and don't try to listen to that and don't try and do this and do that. Uh, try to read why you're suffering and all these different things. But listen. Listen to what I want to teach you while you're in darkness. The greatest experiences of my life have always come out of my darkest times of pain and sorrow. You probably realize that the same thing too. What do you say? Amen? I'm coming out of darkness. This is my first day out of medical disability. (laughs) And the miracle I'm standing here today, I didn't think I would make it. The many nights where I lay asleep at night and I said, Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit because I didn't think I was going to wake up in the morning. But God saw that he had a use for me still and wanted to show me treasures in darkness. Amen. To help others experience healing themselves. You know, we underestimate Facebook. Facebook is a danger too, by the way. God kind of took me away and I kind of, he put me in time out away from Facebook for 15 months to heal. But you know, there's something on Facebook. I posted something where I spoke in my home church where I grew up in, where we got converted and were baptized into. And I made an appeal for healing. Those who want to come forward for healing, come forward. And we pray a prayer and anointing with oil. And my mom came forward. It's something to pray for your mom and anoint her with oil. So I posted that and said, praise God, my mom came forward for my appeal and anointing of oil. (laughs) So I posted it on Facebook and my, unexpectedly, my cousin, who I never knew at all, who lived in San Francisco, posted back and said, I need healing in my life. So I Facebooked her, messaged her, and she messaged me back. And we went back and forth for a while, and then she, she wrote this. And God worked in her life, amazingly. She's not even a Christian. I don't even know what religion she was probably raised in. She said this. We two lived in an abusive home. My mother beat us on a regular basis, mentally and verbally abused us, and was a heavy drinker. 
Until today, she denies ever doing anything. I even went to therapy for it. I still suffer from extreme anxiety, mainly due to insecurities because I'm never good enough for her. But I know I'm good enough for me and my family. I promised myself not to be an abuser, but I broke that pattern the day I had my first child and my abuse still continued. You know, by the way, there's a pattern here, it's called the abuse always becomes the abuser. Don't think you're not gonna be like how so-and-so treated you. Unconsciously, you will. And you're not gonna say, don't say you're not gonna be like your parents because unconsciously, you will. Because the Bible says, the sins of abuse are passed on to the what? Third and fourth generations. I cannot help but relate to your mom as my own happiness is still in the cocoon stage and preventing me from becoming the best I can become, which I know hinders my ability to become the best mom. For many years, I considered myself a Satanist, living a carnal life, seeking to live my life for me without hurting others. I felt God had turned his back on me because of the abuse of others, but it was not him who had turned his back. It was me. I felt unworthy of love. For a long time, life seemed good, but then I could no longer find joy and happiness within. Even though I have forgiven my abusers, peace is hard to find, and resentment still remains. I know it's because Satan has kept me captive all of these years, and I too hid from God, ashamed. I know that God can renew my spirit and heart and bring peace into my heart. For God would never abandon his children. I turned my back on him because I felt like I wasn't good enough for him. But now I know that if I accept him back into my heart, all my transgressions will be forgiven and I will be at peace. What do you say, amen? You see, beloved, in order to heal, we must first face the pain and not run from it. We must embrace the suffering and not ignore it. We must embrace the sorrow so we can give it to a loving God who will then heal us. You see, many of us have a low self-respect from all the negativity that we have received from others. But instead of getting our self-worth from others, we need to get our self-worth from God. What do you say, amen? For when we see how much we are worth and love by God, we will then be healed. And when you know that somebody loves you, you know, my daughter... Somebody told us, you know, when we travel, and this wasn't always this way. There's one time where I was so busy, I'll go to work, my daughter would be sleeping in the morning. I'll come home, my daughter would be sleeping. And I realized that something needs to change. And I said, I need to put God first, family second, ministry third. Now, a lot of people say that. And the conference tells us, pastors that. But when the conference tells me that, you know what they really mean? They mean God first, ministry second, family last. Are you following me? So you can say all you want about that order. But what you do with the order, that's what counts, right? So in reality, God had to change my priorities, and there hasn't been a speaking engagement yet that I have not taken my family. Priority. Even if you don't cover them, Lose money, but my family is priority. What do you say, amen? Relationships is first. We must give our hearts to God who loves us. There's affirmations on your sheet. Look at your affirmations. And I, I don't want you to underestimate these affirmations. Okay? I'm going to read the first one, and I'm going to show you a short story. Okay? First affirmation is this. Lord Jesus, I know you love me. Thank you for making me in an amazing and wonderful way. I know that what you have created is precious to you. What do you say? Amen? Amen. Believe that. My sister recently fostered two children, 
a 10-year-old and a six-month-year-old baby. They were taken away from my niece because CPS came in. Neglect, the parents were on drugs, ice, crystal meth, and those who know drugs know that's a horrible drug. Probably the worst one there is out there. And because there was, they got into a violent, domestic violence, and she pulled a knife and stabbed her boyfriend in front of the children. So he has to go therapy for that. So two, this is recent. This is two months ago. And I can see, you know, I got sick, and we have to move off our property and move back home with my family, my mom's home. She has a big home, so it's good, but we have to move because of the situation. So we moved back home. And I wonder, why in the world did God bring us here? But my sister, two months ago, had to foster these parents, and they needed a babysitter. So guess who's the only one that's home is us, right? <laughs> so we're babysitting the, the, the eight-month-year-old baby now, watching her nine months in the daytime. Anyway, she's, we're talking about healing, and I told my sister, hey, look, I have some daily affirmations, and you know, my family is, I don't, I told her, I, when I came back home, I said, I'm not going to even preach to my family. I'm going to just love them. What a concept for me, who's strong into evangelism and methods and everything. But I'm going to just love them. God has worked more in the last six months than the last 15 years. He has answered prayers I've been praying for 20 years in my family, and he's done miracles in my family, miracles, both sides, my family and my wife's family. And they're, they're growing spiritually, amazingly way, amazing ways. And I said, I'm just going to love them. I can't do anything anyway. I'm sick. I can't preach. I can't do Bible studies. I can't do any of these things. And then here I am. So I shared the affirmations. And so my sister told me that she shared one of the affirmations, the first one, with the 10-year-old boy. And the boy had problems with self-worth issues, how he felt. So I read, she said she read it to him, but before she read it, she said to him, and I shared a text with her, she says, in Psalms, I think it's Psalms 25, I think, verse 3 or 10, it says, when my father and mother forsake me, right, or disappoint me, I like that word, disappoint me, then the Lord will take care of me. So she sat down with a boy, with um, her foster son at night before they went to bed. She reads to him in praise and she said to him, you know, in life, people are going to come and disappoint you. Mom's going to disappoint you. Dad's going to disappoint you. But there's one person that's not going to disappoint you. And the boy looked at my sister and he said, is that you, auntie? Because she took him in, right? And she said, no, unfortunately, it's not me. It's your father in heaven that's not going to disappoint you. This is my sister. Doesn't go to church. <laughs> Amazing how God's working in her life. And then she read this first affirmation, one affirmation. And said, she said that he had such a smile on his face that he felt so loved that he put his hand on top of her hand and said, thank you, Auntie. God can do amazing things with just a simple truth of his word. What do you say? Amen? Yes. Number two, God, you declared your value of me when you gave the life of your son Jesus to redeem me. Thank you for valuing me so highly. Three, thank you, Father, for calling me your child. Knowing this gives me security and a sense of being honored. For God, thank you for looking at me in Christ and declaring that I am accepted and loved. It is awesome to think that you are delighted in me. Five, Jesus, you have promised to supply all my needs according to your riches. Today I choose to trust you with every need that I have. Thank you for providing for me more than I could ever ask or think. What do you say, Amen. 
I want to trust God. Why? Because he loves you and me. What do you say? Amen. And you are worth so much to God. The cross proves that, and that's why we're at the cross. We're going to pray, and after that, we're going to do our breakout sessions again. Um, right after I pray. Father, we thank you. We pray that you may continue to affirm us with your love and that we may see your character in the most precious way. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Break into groups at this time of uh, 3 to 7 and go in your discussion groups and read the discussion group. And then this is what it is. Remember, I said this, this is the most healing time. Okay, that's why I cut it short a little bit because I realize this is the most powerful part of actually the session. So read it to each other. You have the, um, the paragraph in front of you. Read to each other and discuss it, okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask maybe a few of you to raise your hand and choose a volunteer to come up and maybe to share maybe one or two in front of the, everyone else. See what you come up with. Go ahead. Just turn around or turn on each other. Three, five, six, seven. What do you feel comfortable? And start sharing. Don't worry, we're early, so we have a little time. And the next session will be at 2.
Okay, Ch choose a representative. I'm going to have you report and share your biblical advice, not counseling, but biblical advice to everyone else. So kind of choose a, a representative to come up and who are willing to sh come up and share. We can't get everyone, so don't, don't, some of you may be afraid, but don't worry. Only those who would like to come up will come up, okay? But choose a representative or someone who would like to volunteer to come up in about a minute. Okay, kind of wrap it up and kind of volunteer, <laughs> volunteer person. Anybody would like to come up? Did you guys show? Okay, go ahead, come up. And maybe the next person can line up so it can be quicker. Okay, just kind of line up here. Okay, there are three. Let's, let's do three for now and then we'll see how that goes. Okay. Okay, let's go. Okay, go, come up. Or we can't do too much. So uh, we'll see how, okay, four, let's do it. So let's, um, this is it. When the first one come up, come up here. Okay, let's kind of be ready so we kind of go quickly. So it says, I did the same thing, don't worry. <laughs> I thought it was another step. Okay, Mike is one of your good friends who has a lot of anger issues with his mom and dad. You know that his parents are divorced his dad never visits him, and his mom is still bitter at his dad. Mike secludes himself by spending all of his time gaming, video games, right, and has just begun binge drinking. His sister is concerned and has asked you for help. How do you help Mike to experience healing? Not counseling, just biblical advice. Um, in our group, we were talking about, oh, sorry, this is a different mic. In our group, we were talking about the importance of following Christ's method in reaching out to Mike. Um, it's not necessarily, um, you can't necessarily expect to be able to change the relationship that he has with his mom and his dad because we can't necessarily change the way that those parents are going to respond uh, with Mike. But by bringing in a new element, a new opportunity to see life in a new way, um, uh, one thing that, like, based on the principle of Ministry of Healing 143, uh, where Ellen White is writing that Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men is one who desired their good, ministered to their needs, won their confidence, then bade them follow me. So the sense in which I want to find opportunities to mingle with Mike. Um, if I want to come into his life and be a support, but I'm not initially going to tell him what he needs to do or change this and stop playing those games um, because I would alienate him. I would discourage him. I would, he's like, well, that's my life. And so you're basically condemning my life. And without condemnation, only with affirming healing love because of what Christ has done in my life. And so that kind of also dovetailed into um, this aspect of the testimonial approach, um, sharing how God has brought healing in my life because the testimony cannot be gainsaid. Um, Mike may not at this point be at that point where he's already experiencing it. He's not. He's hurting. Um, but what God has done in my life or whatever one of our lives, we can share that reality and it can't be, you know, you know, controverted. And then another thing that, another level to this is in which God's, uh, God's pain, it can be understood and is a, a, a helping out. Like Isaiah 63, 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and his pity, he redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. So also like, affirming with Mike that he's not the only one hurting, but God also is there in the midst of his pain. So. Amen. You know, this is a powerful session because I learn a lot from listening to you. It's amazing, and this is how actually I learned. So next one, but I'm going to have to limit it to one minute each person. Is that okay? Okay, or shorter. Okay, go ahead. One minute. I'm going to time you, okay? Hi, good afternoon, or morning still, I think. Anyways, so we kind of just elaborated on the idea that he had about establishing a connection first, how Christ first ministered to the needs of those who were hungry, who those were who were in need. 
So we first established a connection with Mike through maybe some outdoor activities or even a good game, perhaps, since that's what he's doing. So that's what we were discussing first. So establishing a connection and gaining that trust and that confidence in Mike in order to tell him what, or not tell him, but start, I don't know, helping him with the problems. But through that, we would first need to pray and um, connect ourselves with Christ as well. And the part that stood out to me in here was the, the mom being bitter. So perhaps after we've established a connection and we've gained his trust, we can speak to the mom as well. Because her being bitter transcends into the son as well in his anger and in his problems and him secluding himself. Because, I mean, what we see our parents do that has an effect on us. Like he said, subconsciously, that's, that's what happens. So through that and in prayer and just letting them know that God is with us through our struggles, through our pain, and that he is the one who loves us even though we may not have our father figure present. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Very good. Pretty close to one. Okay, so I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> and maybe 10 seconds or 15 seconds, I'll go like this. Okay, so you kind of know. I won't say anything. I just go like that. I can talk really fast too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <laughs> um, our group came up with the idea. Um, we were all um, ladies in our group, um, and we thought that since it was um, since Mike is a guy, um, that'd be appropriate for a guy in the church in the church to approach him um, to befriend him, and um, like a lot of the other gentlemen have said, um, to reach out with like an activity um, because he's he's doing these things and secluding himself, so possibly like inviting him to a hike um, or maybe even like start going to the gym or something, doing guy type of things and just bonding and doing something positive um, for himself to feel good about himself, especially like working out and exercising can help him with that. Um, and eventually um, build that friendship to be able to invite him to something like a small group Bible study in a non, you know, we, you're not going to go to church necessarily, but have that spiritual connection and allow him to see, um, have some positive things in his life to go on. So that's how we came up. Very good. Thank you. Okay, next. Maybe you can stand over here. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe up here. Okay. Okay, this is it, okay? So go ahead. Okay, so um, we kind of were thinking that uh, Mike was feeling, you know, a little bit abandoned by his parents, so we wanted to show him some compassion and, you know, just kind of hang out with him and not necessarily bring him to church right away or anything because um, that might build up a wall, you know, oh, you, you know, just like um, he was saying, you know, I uh, feel like that we're condemning him. And so, you know, kind of just take him to some things and build that friendship and that connection to where you can start asking questions and he can feel comfortable enough to um, answer those and, you know, he will start feeling that somebody does love him and somebody does care about him, even though it's not his parents. And then through that, it opens up a door for him to start building a connection with God. Thank you. Next. Thank you. A blessing. Okay, I'm nervous now. <laughs> uh, so one thing that we concluded is that prayer is uh, really important into an individual's life because the only person who does the working is God, not us. We're not the people who change. God does the changing. So that's one thing that we realize that is really important. Another uh, key element into helping someone is the fruit of the spirits, Galatians uh, 5.22, peace, love, joy, kindness. Um, you have and patience. You have, you're patiently waiting for them to reveal themselves, open themselves up to you. As well, you're, in, you're introducing a love and an environment. You're uh, putting a new environment into the area, they start questioning, why is this area different than the area that I'm at? Why is my friend able to change my, like, why am I not gaming so much, you know? Like, I've, I've noticed that I don't play so much video games. They start questioning that. Through questioning comes um, an answer. So from that, God does the healing. Okay, go ahead. And go. Okay, so in my group, um, we really like the ideas that were brought forth, and we agree with them. But as we were started discussing, we said, well, you know, it's a very delicate process, and this and that. And something inside of me sparked, and I said, wait a second. And I brought an idea forth that I may be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, you don't have to correct me now, but... Um, <laughs> 
very subjective. Um, and I said, I thought about uh, stage four cancer. And I said, you know what, if I, I, I deal with a lot of health um, in my area, so I said, if we have a really aggressive cancer, right now is not the time to be very delicate about it and be like, well, let me, let me give you a little massage and hopefully you know, your cancer will go away. At that point, you wanna you know, get through those walls because there's this huge issue that we're dealing with and right now is not the time to be like, hey, you know what, praying for you, I'll get you better. Um, and get down to, you know, over time, of course, get down to these really serious conversations that you're having with people. And we really like the affirmations that you brought forth. And being able to remind them of these affirmations and remind them, remind you, because one day when we're not there, they'll be able to say, hey, you know, she did tell me that he promised to supply all my needs. So it's just an idea for you. Don't worry, I'm, I, don't, I won't correct you. <laughs> I kind of, there's no wrong answers, you know. I mean, there may be, but I won't say anything anyway. So, <laughs> but God knows, yeah. So, this is a time for we all learn and you wrestle it out. It's better to wrestle it out for yourself, you know, critical thinkers. We need to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. What do you say, amen? Uh, individuality in book education is the power to think and to do. And so, you need to have your own power to think and to do and not be a reflector of my thoughts. Okay, last one, one minute. All right, so in my group, there are actually a couple of us who have friends who have been in similar situations. Well, the first thing, you're already good friends with this guy, so you already have some things in common. There are things that you can talk about. There are things you can concentrate on besides his drinking, besides his, um, besides his gaming. And um, by capitalizing on these things, by letting him know that you're there for him, uh, it might take a really long time, but you're still that one person that was there that helped, helped you know, steer him in a little bit of a different direction. And from there, you can work on that. Instead of him binge drinking, uh, take him to coffee. <gasps> or, um, or, or, you know, watch instead of gaming. Don't, don't let him, uh, don't, don't do the gaming, but like, find a, a good movie that you can both enjoy, a really old western or something like that, and work on things that you already have in common from there. Amen. That was good, huh? Amen? I learned a lot. Thank you. So thank you, and by God's grace, we'll see you at 2, those of you who are coming back, and it's going to be take away the show, or take away the mask, or living a lie. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.